welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gilner, and thank you so much for joining us today. This podcast is powered by Stick and Ball TV, the baseball and softball streaming platform. If you're a coach with a growth mindset, then Stick and Ball is a no-brainer. With weekly updated videos from some of the top baseball and softball coaches in the country, there is no excuse not to sign up and get better. Go to stickandball.tv or on the Stick and Ball TV mobile app. This episode is sponsored by What About Baseball? It's no secret that we live in a world with constant electronic distractions. Families are spending less time together and kids often can't look up from their devices. But the What About Baseball brand is here to help. What About Baseball is a family-owned, baseball-centric business whose focus is on providing the best baseball toys, games, and accessories to bring friends and family back together to bond over the great sport of baseball. Starting with their best-selling Classic Edition board game, What About Baseball offers fun and exciting gameplay for fans at all levels, from beginner to expert. Whether you want to teach someone the basics of counting balls and strikes, or whether you are deciding whether you should call the suicide squeeze, What About Baseball's Classic Edition board game is a proven winner and has the reviews to prove it. Even better, it's made right here in the USA. What About Baseball would like to reward Ahead of the Curve listeners 20% off their best-selling board game and free shipping. Go to whataboutbaseball.com backslash curve to get your special offer. Once again, that's whataboutbaseball.com backslash curve. On today's show, we have on Eric Horner, head baseball coach at Johnson County Community College. Eric is in his first season as the head coach of Johnson County and his 18th with the program. He is just the fourth head coach in the 47-year history of the program, and he replaced NJCAA and ABCA Hall of Fame coach Kent Shelley, who retired at the end of the 2020 season. Horner served 17 seasons as the assistant coach with the Cavaliers, 13 as the top assistant, and was instrumental in the success of the program that racked up incredible numbers. In 17 years, Horner helped guide Johnson County to five 31 seasons, eight 41 seasons, and one 50-win campaign. In 2020, the Cavaliers were on pace to add to that list before the COVID-19 pandemic cut the season short with a 20-3 record. In his 17 years as a recruiting coordinator, Horner has had 76 players go on to the NCAA Division I level, 87 to the NCAA Division II, and 20 have gone to NAIA programs, and another 20 have gone to professional baseball. So on the show, we discuss his transition from being the top assistant at Johnson County to being the head coach. We talk the JUCO grind and how that develops baseball players. And then we dive deep into developing the person, the player, and the student. Here's Eric Horner. Eric, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so we were talking off the mic a little bit that you got to coach one of my former players in Landon Wood a, a couple years ago and and love Landon. Great, great kid. And I know he, that he loved his experience at uh, Johnson County. And you guys, you know, for a season that was cut really short, you guys were really, really good and and kept the ball rolling. And, and you actually took over this offseason. And so I, I want to start with what was that transition like? So you were the assistant for I think it said 18 years uh, at, at Johnson and then you took over. And so tell us a little bit about how that transition was for you. And I, I'm sure you are the most prepared guy for the job, knowing the program and knowing how good of a coach you are, but I'd love to hear just some of the, what it was like to transition from the assistant to the head coach, to the head coach. Well, I mean, the transition was, was really easy when I've been at the Johnson County for 17 years 
you know, a lot of times there's, there's not a whole lot of coaches that stay put in one place. Um, but I've been at Johnson County for 17 years. I was the recruiting coordinator and the pitching coach. Um, and then once uh, Hall of Famer Kent Shelley retired, uh, I was lucky enough to uh, get selected by the committee to take over. So, I mean, I, I don't – I think it was just a seamless transition considering I'd been there so long and uh, recruited all the players. And it, it was just a, a really good fit and a really easy transition, especially with COVID. Um, you know, our kids had to deal with a, a lot of unique situations and a, and a lot of unknowns. So, you know, I was just really happy to, to give the players that constant uh, during the COVID and uh, was just kind of happy to, to get the job and, and hopefully keep things rolling. When you guys, you mentioned that you guys were uh, getting ready for a playoff run right now. And, and so we can we can start right there. I usually start in the fall, but uh, at the time that, that most everybody's listening right now, they are going into – uh, playoff season. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you're doing to really prepare those guys or what you've done up to this point to be able to say, okay, now we're we're doing everything that we can up to point A right before the playoffs. And just give us some different advice on how to prepare uh, for a playoff run. Well, I mean, the, the tough thing about preparing for a playoff run is, is it starts day one on August 10th. Um, you know, you got to prepare your guys from from day one, all fall, all winter, um, and then all spring uh, for the playoffs, we tell our guys that you just can't flip the switch during playoffs and and think it's all going to click or it's all going to come together. So again, it's a it's a year process, and uh, if we as coaches do our jobs, then then our kids are prepared for almost any situation and adversity and and ready for the playoffs. I would say my only tip uh, for even playing in playoffs or coaching in playoffs is is just keeping the guys loose. You know, a lot of times I see guys that, that fold in the playoffs is they're, they're too nervous, they're too stressed out, they're trying to do too much. Um, so we're really focused on staying loose, um, having fun, and, and essentially just letting our, our guys do what they've done all year. You know, you don't have to change anything different just because it's a, a winner-go-home situation. Um, you know, if you prepared all year long and your guys are ready and uh, they're going out there and, and playing carefree baseball and having fun and relaxed, then – uh, playoffs should take care of itself. I love that, and and I, again, that that is that's something that that's really intriguing to me too. Because you hear a lot of coaches say we want to, you know, the the further the season goes along, the more that we want to try and pull back the reins a little bit, let them be themselves, and really, you know, get to this point. And so let's let's rewind uh, back to you know day one, whenever you guys got them on campus, and I don't know what that looked like this year. I'm, I'm just talking about about a typical year, but I'm sure it was sometime in August. And so tell us a little bit about really the summer leading into it. And then we can, we can talk about the players getting on campus, but tell us a little bit about how you prepared for really that first meeting or that first week of practice. And again, you're, you've been there for a long time. You're a great coach. You've been around the program, you know, all of the kids, but it is a transition from assistant to head coach, I'm assuming. And so what what were what was the summer like for you, and and how did you go into week one feeling like okay, I've, I'm I'm I feel really prepared for this moment. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the preparedness really comes from, I guess, my old boss and, and Kent Shelley. I mean, I can't thank him enough. But over the 17 years, he he really entrusted me with a lot of the a lot of the parts of the program. Uh, so he allowed me to take charge in a lot of those things and. Um, kind of learned by failures and successes and, and then his advice as well. So, 
I mean, I, I don't really think I could have been any more prepared to take over the program uh, just because he's, he's, he's really kind of a hands-off coach uh, where he allowed his assistants to have their kind of specialties and take charge of their specialties. And uh, Over the years, he let me dabble in a lot of the head coaching stuff as far as scheduling and uh, on-campus recruiting visits and travel plans and stuff like that. So, and I can't thank uh, Coach Shelley enough for everything that he did over the 17 years and uh, especially getting ready for uh, me for this moment. So, you know, I, I think that's where it made it seamless. Now, the, the tough thing was was all the COVID stuff. Um, you know, last year we were 20 and three, uh, really had things rocking and rolling, and we were just starting conference. I think we were in our third weekend of conference uh, before the season got um, boom because of COVID. So, that was probably the craziest part is, is you're looking from March to July. Um, not only have I not been named the head coach, uh, but yet I'm trying to keep all of our recruits, all of our current players um, still with the program, still excited about the program, still motivated about the program. Um, and then finally it was official in July. And once it was official, then it was kind of time to get everything organized and, and ready to go and, you know, and even then, as organized and planned out as we were, uh, the, the fall was really unique as in every day wasn't guaranteed, you know, and that's what we really learned about COVID. So even though we had these plans and uh, these strategies and these team bonding things, we didn't know within 24 hours if we'd be able to do them, if we had to change, if we had to stay flexible. So that was probably the most difficult part uh, of the transition, which every program had to deal with it. But I think we really had to deal with it because, again, um, you know, we were transitioning, new head coach, um, things like that. So that was probably the hardest part is just all the unknowns in the fall of what we could do, what we couldn't do, wearing the mask, having small groups. Uh, so we really had to change, really had to stay flexible. And, and, you know, our kids did a great job. Luckily, we had a lot of returners. And I think most of our lineup uh, came back. So that was a huge help because they already knew kind of what our expectations were. They already kind of knew what being a Cavalier was. Um, so that's what really made it easy was just having all those returners uh, to help lead the freshmen um, and help us with the, the complete transition of, of the new coaching staff. No doubt. And, and you know, that's, that's a unique experience that I think only junior colleges have is from the fact of you lose half of your team every year. And so I'd, I'd love to hear, you know, your, your thoughts on how to build a culture because you guys have one, but how have you, how have you continued to build one throughout or at least losing half of your team almost every single year and, and continue that every year. And, and it's, it's, it, it seems like you have to hit the ground running from day one in the fall. Oh, I mean, it, it's tough, you know, and, and I, I still remember even in my interview process, I can't remember exactly what the question was, but uh, my answer was the hardest job, in, in all of sports is the recruiting coordinator for a junior college, you know, especially in baseball. Cause you, you've got a, you're losing 20 guys a year. You've got to add 20 guys a year. And it's one of the toughest jobs uh, in the business. Um, you know, it, it's a daily thing. It's an hourly thing. It's a minute thing. And, and it never stops. So, um, you know, that's the trickiest part. And then again, like you said, as far as building the culture, uh, we've we've had really good success over the last 18 years at Johnson County. Um, you know, I think over the last 14 years, we've been ranked in the top 20 for 13 of those 14. Uh, the last six years, we've been ranked in the top 10. 
uh, most importantly to us is our academics. And, and we've had over a 3.0 uh, for 34 out of the last 35 semesters. Uh, we got a 3.29 last year. So our, our kids not only get after it on the baseball field, but they also get after it in the classroom. And, you know, we're very fortunate to, to have a great school, uh, to have great academics, great facilities. Um, so we try to bring in the, the best high character kids we can. And, and once we do that, you know, it really makes things easy because you've got those sophomores, you've got the high character freshmen uh, that want to get better, that want to work. Um, they see our success in the past, and it's it's a whole lot easier to get buy-in when you're winning 40 games a year, ranked in the top 10. You know, we've got usually about 15 guys per season moving on to the Division One level. Um, so when you have all these successes, you know, throughout the program and, and just about all categories that, that as coaches you focus on, uh, it's really easy to get buy-in. And, and, you know, with that tradition, with that culture, with that winning attitude, uh, really makes our job, I wouldn't say easy, but much easier uh, for kids to come in at day one and their ears are open, uh, their mouths are kind of zipped, and they're, they're just ready to soak it in, uh, get better, and, and they want to reach their goal to the Division One level. And, and luckily, most of our starters get that opportunity. So, um, you know, they buy in a, a lot quicker and a lot sooner probably at other places, which really helps our job out. I love that. And, you know, they're not in the easiest conference either, which again goes into week one, you know, <laughs> you guys got to be ready to go. Uh, so tell us a little bit about, you know, I, I don't know. I think most of our listeners are, are pretty familiar with, you know, Juco life a little bit, but you've got, and I, I, it may have changed this year. I, I really don't know, but for the most part, an unlimited schedule in the fall that you could practice seven days a week if you wanted but take us through, you know, when, once you got the entire team on campus, what did that what did that fall look like? Again, it, it's it's such a different year with COVID, and and I'm sure we could put an asterisk by that because there's some things that you will change you will change for next year. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on how do we run a fall efficiently? What are the things that need to be done? When do they need to do them? And and just kind of walk us through that, and, and we can go. Yeah, wherever. I mean, I, I won't really change it up to where COVID's at. I'll I'll talk about a typical fall. Sure. Um, and, and that's one of the beauties of junior college baseball and, and why it's good for player – I mean, it's good for player development because we don't have really all the rules of the four-year school program. So we get to play 20 games in the fall against outside competition. We don't really have any hourly restrictions. So, you know, we can go out as, as a team and, and practice for two, three hours, go lift for an hour, and then have some individual stuff after as well. Um, so, I mean, it, it's a grind, you know, and I hate to say grind because baseball is fun and baseball is a sport, um, but, but it's a grind and, and you got to be a, a certain, certain type of kid to, to get after the Juco life just because, again, of all the hours on the baseball field, all the hours in the classroom, um, you know, and, and it's a lot different than the four-year atmosphere where they can only bring in so many kids, they only have so many hours a week. Um, so the development at the Juco level is just outstanding. You know, because, again, we just don't have the time restrictions. We can work one-on-one. -on -one. We can bring the whole team in, uh, and, and guys can just get after it and get better each day. You know, and most of the kids we get, again, I mean, they're wanting to hit. They're wanting to field. You know, they're wanting, they're eager, and they're willing to get better. So um, it, it's just a lot better uh, of an environment for, for individual development. So just because of the hours and the time constraints and stuff like that, uh, once the fall is over, we kind of go into a winter session. 
uh, where we really attack the weight room. You know, I would say our number, our number one strength is our strength. Um, so we really get after the weight room quite a bit. Uh, November through February, we're in there for five days a week, hour, hour and a half. In the fall, we're in there three to four, three to four times a week. So we get after the weight room. You know, we really believe that's kind of the, the great separator is if we can be stronger than our opponents, the ball's going to go further, the ball's going to go faster, uh, et cetera. So uh, we really attack the weight room on a year-round basis, and, and we attack practices and, and individual development on a daily basis. So, you know, that's that's part of the JUCO grind. And if you're wanting to get better, JUCO could be the option for you. You know, I mean, we don't get a, a whole lot of Division One ready kids you know, most kids that go to the junior college level have some kind of a flaw, whether it's speed, strength, velocity, command. And you go to the JUCO level, we have more time to work on those weaknesses and hopefully turn them into strengths within two years. No doubt. And and, and I think, you know, your track record speaks for itself because you guys have done that quite a bit. And so with, with that being said, what does a what does a Cavalier look like? And so what I mean is I'm, I'm sure you guys have a mold of, hey, this is what these are our standards. These are our expectations. So I'd love to hear more about that. Oh, well, I mean, I I guess a Cavalier mold is we kind of have three pillars in our program that we really believe in and we focus on the development. Uh, so the three pillars of our program is we're trying to develop the person. We're trying to develop the player and then we're trying to develop the student. So we talk about those three pillars every single day. Um, it's core to our beliefs, core to our values, and it's core to what we want our kids to buy into and believe and get better at. Um, so not only do we focus on, on baseball, which obviously all the kids want to play baseball, they want to be better players. Um, so that makes our hardest task is making better people, you know, making sure they're doing the right things when nobody's looking, making sure they're high character kids, making sure they're polite. Um, you know, we're just trying to develop better people, you know, and then the third one is the student. Now, not everybody likes going to class, but obviously it's important for college. So we're trying to develop the student, give them study tips, sending them to our resource centers to get extra help and pretty much going above and beyond with the books as well. So so when we look at kids, we look at kids that maybe already have those characters. So it makes things easier for us. Uh, but we preach that every day, you know, so I would say really we're just looking for high character hardworking players, you know, and if we can get those high, high character, hardworking players into our system, it makes our job a whole lot easier. Um, you know, we don't want to be babysitters. If we have to walk a kid to class or peek into a classroom to see if a kid's there, you know, I don't, I don't really want you in our, our program. You know, we want kids that understand that they're student athletes, um, you know, and also for them too, because baseball scholarships are so low at the division one level, they're only getting 11.7 scholarships for 35 people. So you're sitting on a 33% at best. And we try to make our kids understand that you could get, you know, the other 67% if you get after the grades and you get that three, five or that 4.0. Um, so that's, that's the kids we're looking for. And again, just hardworking. Um, and we're also big believers too. You know, I don't really know what the saying is, but you are kind of who you hang around with or, uh, you are, you know, you're exactly alike or you're, you're as guilty as the five people you hang around most, whatever all those sayings are, as far as pick your friends wisely. If we bring a group of, of 35 kids in and 30 plus of those kids are high character kids, you know, those other four or five guys are going to jump in and, and pretty much jump on the train, follow the lead and become better people right away. You know, if you bring in 30, 30, I don't know what the word for it is, but 30 low character kids, 
and they're doing the wrong things all the time, then you're going to get the other five to 10 good kids to buy into them. So we really try to surround all of our athletes, uh, which is high character people that understand grades are important. And once you can do that, they all buy in pretty easy. So that's really helped us out too, is, is taking the time and recruiting. Um, you know, when I was the recruiting camp coordinator, you know, we'd always call three people, you know, we'd always call their summer coach, their high school coach. And then we try to reach out to a teacher, athletic director or something like that, uh, just to get character checks. And, you know, I pass that on to coach Yeager, who's kind of taken over the reins as the recruiting coordinator this year. And, you know, doing that extra work in the recruiting process really helps you out long-term and really makes things easy to coach when you get the right kids on campus. Oh, that's wonderful. And uh, I've gotten a chance to meet Michael and talk with him a little bit. He's a stud. Lucky to have that guy. Yeah, I mean, we, we got really lucky. I mean, obviously, I've been there for 17 years, now the head coach on the 18th year. Um, our main hitting coach and defensive coordinator is David Canary. Uh, he's been at the college for 15 years. Uh, coach Yeager has been at the college for, I think, five or six years now. Mm. Our pitching coach, Wally Neller, uh, he's on his third year. And all those guys played at Johnson County. So, I mean, it's they understand. I mean, I coached Wally. I coached Yeager. So they understand what we're about. And it's, it's, it's really easy for them to jump in and know the tradition and know how we teach it and know how, know how we do things. Oh, that's awesome. So I'd love to hear uh, this, too, from, from a pitching perspective. I know that you – I'm sure you still dabble in it. And, and that's uh, – if you had to coach a position, I, I feel like that would be your specialty. But I'd love to hear – your thoughts on from the pitching side in the fall what you know what what did you feel like you guys did really well getting them prepared for the season uh, just spitball with that that with me a little bit yeah I mean pitching's my baby so even though coach Neller does a great job heck I hope everything that he learned came from me while he was at Johnson County so it's an easy transition and not only do I believe in him but I trust him um, but it, it's still my baby so I, I probably overstep sometimes he probably doesn't like working for me because I always give my two cents in or, but he does a great job. He's a younger guy. Uh, he gets it being a younger guy where he's trying to learn, he's trying to develop. So, you know, he's always, he's always asking questions. He's always saying, Hey, what do you think about doing this today? Um, so he's just been awesome with the pitchers and um, you know, the, the greatest thing nowadays with pitching and uh, is, and, and I'm more old school, you know, we do we do medicine ball drills. We're working on body shifts and body weight, um, you know, learning how the body moves and trying to, you know, get all the kinetic chain stuff. But I'm more old school. So, you know, the greatest thing that we're trying to do nowadays with with pitching is learn all this technology. And they've got the Rapsido and the track man and the spin rates and the tilt axes and, and all that stuff. So that's probably our, our greatest thing that we've been working on is is trying to learn all that new technology and and incorporate it into our program, you know. I mean, you see on Twitter, you see on these podcasts, you got the old school versus the new school, and, and there's old school guys that won't learn from the new school. And then there's new school guys that don't take what the old school does. So, you know, I like to think we're kind of getting there anyway of, of the best of both worlds is, you know, that's what these kids are growing up on is they come in and tell me their spin rate or their curveballs this spin rate and, you know, I just look at them like, well, I don't really know what that means, but why don't you throw a curveball and I'll tell you if a hitter is going to swing it, miss at it or not. And so we're trying to buy in a little bit more with this technology because that's what all these kids are using. Um, you know, and, and really the, the biggest thing these days is, is arm health. You know, is we're trying to long toss, we're trying to lift, 
uh, we're trying to keep these guys healthy. And, and you know, our greatest task is, is, is keeping pitchers healthy these days through how much throwing they're doing and what they're doing in high school. And uh, I would say that's probably our greatest thing is not only development of pitchers, but, you know, we're trying to keep them healthy on a year-round basis. And if they're hurt, they're not getting scholarships and they're not helping us out. So, you know, that that's probably a main focus too with a lot of the development we do is a, is a lot of arm care stuff. Awesome. Well, uh, I, I, again, uh, I want to walk it back just for a second with the old school versus new school. I, like you said, I, I think that that's something that if you're a mix of both, then, <laughs> then that means one, you, you know how to coach, which is, I think the connotation of old school guys, you know, you know how to get through to, players and you know the game of baseball but you're also willing to incorporate some new things which i think is really really cool uh so with that uh so you're transitioning again you get 50 percent new guys every single year uh i'd love to hear and and uh, this was this has kind of been you know my lived experiences in juco life you don't really have to do a ton of team building activities because you're in a very small town, you're on campus and all you do is play baseball and you're pretty much like most of the kids on campus are, are, are in athletics. Right. And so that, that in itself is a bonding experience uh, through shared experience. But is there anything that, that you feel that you, that you guys do together that you're like, guys, uh, the coaches that are listening, guys, you've got to try this. Is there anything that comes to mind? I mean, we're a little bit different. I don't know if you've actually seen our place. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got th- we've got thirty six thousand students at our school, wow. uh, so we're actually larger than KU and K State. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, our campus is is a D one type campus. We've got Division one type academics. We've got Division one type uh, facilities, um, but we have all the benefits of junior college baseball as far as playing right away, um, developing more with the time frames that we have and stuff like that. So. It's a, it's a little bit more unique in our place as far as team bonding goes because I don't I don't know that I call them distractions, but there's a whole lot more to do. Uh, you can drive a block in any directions uh, at around Johnson County and, and get to a movie theater, any type of restaurant you can think of. I mean, there's golf courses. Uh, we're 20 minutes from Kauffman Stadium, so our guys go to Royals games. We're 20 minutes from uh, Arrowhead Stadium, so our guys are – going to Chiefs games. And, you know, I would just say all the time that we spend in baseball, though, I mean, I mean, they have to bond just because, of, again, all of our development time that we take. So even though there are distractions at our place, they're on the field uh, for three, four hours a day in the weight room for an hour a day. So they're around each other quite a bit. Um, that was one of the main things when I took over. I was going to try to do a lot more team bonding activities and a lot more community events and getting out in the community a little bit. Uh, but COVID kind of, I guess, ruined a lot of that stuff because obviously you didn't want to get into large groups. So uh, we've got some ideas up our sleeves that we're hoping to try for next year. But really the biggest thing that we've always done that our guys seem to bond with is uh, we've, we've partnered with Johnson County 3 and 2, which is one of the largest uh, youth organizations in Kansas City, and our guys umpire in the fall. So – our, our guys claim they don't like it, but, man, they talk about that 24 hours a day about this crazy parent, this crazy play, this crazy coach, how much they got yelled at, um, this ball they call the strike, the strike they call the ball. So that's probably our biggest team bonding thing, and we were able to do some of that this fall, luckily. Um, but that's probably our biggest team bonding thing is we mix them up uh, so they're always umpiring with somebody different. So 
that gets them on a field for two hours with somebody they don't know early on in the fall. Uh, so they have to talk. They, you know, they, they sit in between games. That's 30 minutes they're talking to each other. So that's probably our biggest team bonding thing uh, that we were able to do this year. Again, we have a lot more plans, hopefully, that we'll put into place next year and get a lot more involved with the community. Hopefully, uh, COVID continues to die down a little bit. But that's probably the biggest thing we do. And, you know, again, we just try to get guys all pulling, pulling the rope in the same direction. And, and, and once we get that buy-in, um, you know, they bond over working hard. You know, the weight room is an awesome place to bond when somebody's, you know, lifting a, a new PR max in the squat. Uh, the bench, the box jumps, or how high they're doing a box jump, and all our guys are huddling around them and cheering and yelling and screaming. Um, you know, in the fall, uh, we do like a lot of – I don't know if – we do a lot of competition in the fall. So our guys – we're trying to get our guys to compete in everything they do. You know, and, and when we can we can get our guys to compete, you know, they're rooting on each other, they're cheering on each other, and I think that's really, really bonding when they're competing on the field, in the classroom, and in the weight room. So – no doubt, I love that. So when the the I feel, I feel like, and this is this is kind of a college coach thing, the the transition from December at, from the end of classes to January may be the most nerve wracking time of your life. But then once you get them back on campus in January, if if you want to, you can talk about that transition from off season to preseason, or we can just jump right into preseason, whichever whichever one you prefer. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on both or or one of the one of the other i mean you hit it on the head the scariest time for any coach is the month of december you Uh know all college kids have a month after finals before the second semester start that they're at home so that's the scariest time because you don't know what they're doing how hard they're working if they're working you know and you have to put a lot of trust into those players and you know, we tell them all the time, and, and maybe this is mean or maybe this is too true, but, you know, we tell our guys all the time, if you go home and do nothing, you're going to come back day one, and we're getting after it. You know, we're not easing you into it because you had a, we sent you home with a month plan. We sent you home with a daily plan of what to do in the weight room, when to hit, when to long toss, when to throw bullpens, how many pitches. And if you don't follow that plan to a T, uh, you're going to get hurt. And, and when you get hurt that first week back, it's not because of what we're doing, but it's because of what you should have been doing the last month. So I don't know if you want to call that a scare tactic, but that's probably our biggest one that we use is here's, here's a day by day of things you need to do. And there's some flexibility in it to where if you can't lift this day, that's fine, but get so many lifts in a week. If you can't hit because you can't find a gym, that's fine, but hit so many times a week. So there's a lot of uh, flexibility built in it. Um, but again, we use the scare tactic of day one, you come back, you know, we're throwing live to hitters right out of the shoots and you're throwing 40 pitches live to hitters. If you hadn't thrown a bullpen in a month, you're going to get hurt. And if you get hurt, next guy's up and, and, you know, call that a scare tick, scare tactic, call that mean. Uh, but it's really worked over 17 years. So we're going to keep rolling with it. And, you know, the other thing we do with technology is pretty nice. Uh, we tell our guys, you know, when they're throwing a bullpen, they got to film five pitches. When they're hitting in the cages, they got to film, you know, five swings. So that way, when we, we kind of know what they're doing because they're supposed to be sending us footage. Uh, so that makes it pretty nice, too. And all we got to do is get a, we get a text message from, you know, so-and-so, there's five pitches. You know, and it also allows us to say, hey, looking good, keep it up. Or, 
here's a flaw that I see. Let's try to get this fixed for your next bullpen. Here are some drills to fix it. Or same thing with the hitters. You know, here's a flaw with your mechanics. Here's a drill to fix it. Let's see if you can get better next week. So now I would say that the, the scariest time we use the scare tactic of don't get hurt when you come back. And, uh, and the second one of, you know, send us videos of what you're doing, you know, so we see the swing, we see the development, we see if they're doing things the right way. Um, and then that's worked for 17 years. So we're, we're probably going to keep rolling with it. So, um, and, and this year was especially difficult with that stuff too, because now our administration did a great job, but, you know, we shut down for a week in the fall. We had to shut down two weeks early at the end of fall because uh, of COVID, uh, COVID stuff. And, you know, again, when we do that, you know, if our guys aren't quarantined, they still couldn't use our facilities. So they had, they had to go work on their own. So, you know, it, it all goes back to uh, you recruit the right types of kids. Coaching is fairly easy. You know, you recruit the, the wrong kinds of kids. You know, you'll pull your hair out. I know I don't have any hair, but you'll pull your hair out because, you know, you can't trust them. And, and it, it's, it's just it's, – it doesn't make coaching fun. And, and you get the right kids, and it's pretty fun. So going back on college baseball, what's the most important thing to me is recruiting. You know, you recruit the right types of kids, and it's easy. And you don't recruit the right types of kids, and it's a 24-7 job. No doubt. Well, let's go ahead and, and dig into that a little bit. So you, you talked to, you mentioned calling three people from guy, from perspective, uh, student athletes that you want, but let's say you're just, you're just out watching a baseball game. What are some different things that you're looking for as far as, Hey, these are our kind of guys that we want to sign. Recruiting's difficult, you know, and, and over the years I've really learned that to be a good recruiter, you have to be a good networker. You know, and again, I, we've got a great coaching staff and we love each other like brothers. We fight like brothers. We, we make up like brothers. And, and it's funny because, you know, we laugh all the time and we'll go see the same kid, you know, one day, then the next coach, hey, let's go, go look at him this week. And, and we come back and, you know, baseball is a weird game because one coach can see a kid and oh, he can't play. Another guy can see a kid and, man, he'd be our best player. And, and so it's really, it's difficult, you know, plus you could go to a game or a tournament and I've gone to tournaments before and, and sat there for a week straight. And if I'm following one kid or another kid, you know, he could walk four times in one game. So I, I just drove six hours to go watch this one kid and he went O for O with four walks. And, you know, of course you're, you're, you know, banging your head against the wall or, or it gets rained out or, you know, there's, there's a lot of variables in baseball and, so to me, to, to be a good recruiter and what we look for is you got to have a good network, you know, and luckily over the last 17 years, uh, I, I feel like we've done things the right way at Johnson County. So I feel like we've got a good network of people and, you know, a lot of guys that we sign, it, it's just, you know, maybe one of our buddies or one of our, our networks giving us a call and saying, hey, coach, I got a guy for you. And, you know, and us watching a little video, maybe trying to go watch him play, but uh, good recruiters to be a good recruiter, you better have a good network because, you know, again, your, your, your eyes and you don't have that crystal ball, but, you know, I may go see a kid take 10 swings or five at bats. And, you know, I really rely on, on his coach that's seen him for one year, two year, three years and thousands of swings and, you know, what his character is, how hard he works and stuff like that. And, um, you know, so again, we we really rely on our network and, and our network of people to give us good intel. And, 
you know, once you send us one good player and you call us again for a second player, if that first one worked out, man, we'll sign that second one side unseen because, you know, you know what you're doing. No, really good. And uh, get your cup of, cup, cup of coffee because what is it in recruiting? Always be closing. Like, I love that. That's really, really good. <laughs> yep. So with with that, uh, sorry, I, I got sidetracked with the recruiting talk a little bit, but let's let's go ahead and uh, whenever. So you guys don't have you guys have about a month uh, before you really get into the season uh, or less, <laughs> and and then whenever you guys do, because again, your your Jayhawk league is really tough, and so trying to balance, uh, you know, stress and rest and hitting on this and that, and so uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts about you know what what the balance is during season as far as development and winning games and rest and stress and and you know when we do this we uh, we need to take this day off and just kind of t- tell us a little bit about how that balance has been for you because you know I'm I'm exp- I'm going through it as a you know future head coach hopefully we'll see but I'm thinking about it from an assistant standpoint so I don't get to see all the ins and outs of all the things that head coaches do so I'd love to hear your thoughts on just how to balance all of those different things while, you know, still trying to win games, develop kids, and so on and so forth. Yeah, for sure. You know, I'm a big believer in what I call the roller coaster method. You know, so we're a pretty intense program. We get after the development. Almost everything we do is 100% uh, full speed. So uh, we really kind of follow the roller coaster method, whether it's in the weight room or on the field or in conditioning. And if we're going to crush you on a Monday, you know, Tuesday is going to be extremely light for that rebuild. So your muscles, you know, regrow, your muscles get better, they get healthier, they recover. Uh, then if Tuesday is kind of a, a lighter recovery day, you better be ready to go on Wednesday because, you know, we're sprinting, we're getting after it, uh, we're long tossing, we're throwing live, uh, whatever it might be. Then again, we bounce back on Thursday and that's a light day. So really big on the roller coaster method is, is we're going to crush you one day, uh, but we also realize that next day we've got to recover. You know, you, you can't just keep crushing these kids day in and day out because something's going to break down, uh, whether it's a ligament, UCL, labrum, hamstring, uh, something's going to pop if you just go, 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 go. So, uh, again, we're really, really big believers in that roller coaster method. Uh, we also kind of start a little bit slow in the fall. So when our guys report, uh, we take the first two weeks, we put everybody on a long toss program. Uh, we really build up the conditioning. We really build up the weights. Uh, so that first two weeks is, is really light. Uh, and then each day is just a little bit more. Um, it's a lot of chalk talk. It's a lot of fundamentals. It's a lot of basic mechanics. It's a lot of base running techniques. Uh, so a lot of our coaching gets done within the first two weeks. So it's, it's a lot of the, the coaching and it's a lot of the buildup, you know, and then after those two weeks are over, uh, we have two months where we get after it for fall ball. So we're down there with the team. Uh, we're playing games. We're long tossing. We're doing team practices and it's full go. And then after that fall season's over around November 1st, then we break it out to really strength building. So now we're doing individual stuff uh, and we're hitting the weight room five days a week. Um then once that's over, uh, they go home for Christmas break, and we give them a Christmas program again, which outlines each day what they're trying to accomplish, hitting, throwing, conditioning, weightlifting. And then they come back, and in about January 10th, we've got less than a month before the season's going. So 
we're full go throwing live to hitters indoors, getting outside when we can and, and getting after it, getting ready for the season. And then, of course, once you're in season, you're just trying to maintain. So you're lifting two to three times a week, more body weight type stuff, just so you don't lose anything that you gained. Um, you know, we're doing a, a lot less uh, with the long toss, a lot less with the live stuff. And, and we're just, you know, making sure that we're 100 percent for every game day. And, and then, like you said, as far as the conference goes, you know, the, the Jayhawks, one of the top toughest conferences around and they're the amount of teams in the Jayhawk League is just astounding. I mean, there's 18, 19 JUCOs in Kansas, you know, and, and 18 of them make the or sorry, 16 of them make the playoffs. So, you know, we're sitting in there. We've we've we were lucky enough to have a good year. So we host the first round starting tomorrow. But we've got four teams coming in. You know, we've got Fort Scott, uh, we've got Garden City, and we've got Butler. And, man, any one of those teams can win. And, and you know, I, I talk to our coaches at our school all the time. You know, everybody's like, well, how come you've only been to Grand Junction two or three times? Uh, it's, it's a tough road. You know, you've got to be the best team out of Kansas uh, to go to the World Series. You know, and there's 18 teams. And of those 18 teams, nine of them have probably been ranked at some point in time. And, Nine of them can win it. So you're getting into a, you know, a, a double elimination bracket and, and you got to go through all 18 teams and all 18 teams are tough and nine of them could, could hang at the World Series. So it's a tough road and, you know, that means it's a tough fall and it's a tough winter. And, you know, again, you got to prepare for tomorrow, August 10th. You know, if you're preparing for tomorrow today, well, you missed the boat and, and your guys aren't going to be ready. So, um, you know, that's what, that's what makes it a grind is going through this playoff playoff system and having to go through these teams during the, during the season and then having to play them again in the playoffs. And, you know, every day is a challenge and and every day you got to get up ready to compete or you're going to get left in the dust. So walk us through a, uh, just a typical practice. And I'd love to hear, we, we don't have any practice plans on us, but I'd love to just hear your thoughts on just some different things that you guys do. It could be unique to you or just things that you have found efficient, things that your players like. But just from a from a practicality standpoint, I'd love to pick your brain on that. Um, Yeah, I mean, we, we try to do everything full speed. Uh, obviously, with the roller coaster method, you can't do that every day. Uh, but we compete a lot. You know, we do a lot of live situation stuff. So whether we're trying to hit off of a machine at, at 92 miles an hour or, you know, our guys are kind of the biggest drill that we have uh, that we love from a defensive purpose is what we call the, the T uh, we call it the T defense. So we set up two T's. Uh, our guys are hitting off of the T to our defenders, you know, and they're alternating. So one time they hit a ball to first base, our pitch, our pitchers covering uh, first base at full speed. You know, then the next tee guy's hitting it to shortstop. He's throwing it to first. Next guy's hitting a tee uh, ball to third base. They're turning a double play at second base. So it's it's really high-paced. Um, and I don't know if you've ever seen a, a college kid hit a ball off a tee before, but they can get it moving. And, and you know, our, our fielders, our fielders are, are pretty skeptical when they do it. But, man, if you can feel the ground ball off of a tee, uh, you can feel anything. So – a lot of our practices, we try to overdo it. We try to make it more challenging than a game. So when they get in a game, it's a lot slower, you know, and, and that's the biggest adjustment uh, that we've seen out of high school kids is, is once you get to college, 
the game is faster. You know, the kids are bigger. The kids are stronger. That ground ball is now a lightning bolt. That line drive is much faster than anything you've ever seen. So, uh, you know, again, when we're trying to make things tougher than the game in practice, so the game is easier. You know, and again, we do that with machines with our hitters. We'll dial up that hack attack machine. We'll dial up that big league slider, and our guys got to compete and hit it. You know, and, and if they can put that in play, then they see a, a JUCO pitcher. It looks like a beach ball coming in. If our defenders, you know, if they can feel that ball getting scorched off the tee, they're going to be able to. A routine ball is going to look like a slow beach ball coming at them as well. So, you know, that, that's a lot of things that we do. And again, that that defensive tee drill we do probably two to three times a week. You know, hitting off a machine, we try to do two to three times a week just, again, because it's not the 40-mile-an-hour feel-good BP. You know, it's you're getting after it. You better be on time, and you better barrel that thing up or that ball's not leaving the, the cage. So, uh, again, when we do practice stuff, we try to make things more difficult than a game. We're always trying to compete. So our guys, again, are staying focused, staying locked in. Uh, we try to do things at low reps because, again, if you have an at-bat, you better be ready to go on that first pitch. You don't get 10, 15 swings to figure it out. Um, you know, pitchers, we try to throw, again, aim small, miss small. So, we're you know, we're trying to hit ball. We, we get a tee in the bullpen. We put a ball on it, and, and our, our pitchers compete to try to hit that ball off that tee. You know, so, again, our biggest practice thing is we, th- we make things more difficult than a game is. So, when we get to a game, it's a whole lot easier. I love that. And you're slowing the game down, which I think is, is an awesome, awesome thing. You're adding in some competition, which I'm sure the players love. And, you know, with that, let's say, you know, we're, we're to the season here that we're in. We, we've talked about postseason a little bit. You guys are really successful. You get the outcomes that you want. And then the season ends. And then after that, then it's that transition from – you got again half of your team leaving, and then you got half of your team coming back. I, I've always been curious on how other coaches do, you know, after season wrap ups. And I I don't know what it would be like for you, especially with the guys that are going and moving on to you know four year universities. But all but I'd love to hear you know what what your plan is for the guys that are coming back. I'm sure you want to know where they're playing in the summer, what their what their plans are with that, and getting contact information. But just kind of walk us through what your process is after the season's over and then your, your, you know, your, I don't want to say postseason, but your after season wrap ups. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Um, we have exit meetings with all of our guys. Now the guys leaving the program, uh, those, those are pretty easy, you know, because most of them have signed, you know, it's more of a thank you, you know, good luck kind of thing. Let us know if you need anything. And hopefully we created that bond where they still stay in touch. So, uh, the guys that aren't coming back are really easy. Uh, the guys that are coming back, you know, there's some good exit meetings, there's some bad exit meetings, but, you know, we're as honest and as truthful as we can possibly be. You know, I, I can probably be called a, a lot of things over my 17 years of coaching, but um, a liar is not one of them. So we're up front with each one of our kids on what their role is going to be coming back, uh, where they stand, where they sit what we thought they could do better, what we liked, those kind of things. So, uh, and then, like you said, you know, we're making sure they have a plan. We're pretty flexible on what their plan is, but they've got to have a plan. If they don't, then we get together and we come up with one, whether it's play summer baseball, whether it's kind of rest, lift weights, long toss in the, in, in the summer. I mean, everybody's going to be different. 
everybody's going to be individualized on what they need to do in the summer. I mean, our guys who are starting every day, they probably need a break, you know, so we'll tell them to take off all of June, uh, obviously continue to lift, but don't pick up a baseball in June and then July, start hitting, continue lifting, start throwing, get ready for August. Then there's guys that maybe didn't get the innings that they want, uh, so they didn't develop uh, as much as they needed to in the spring. You know, we tell those guys, you got to go play. You know, we don't care where you play. If you've got a hometown league, let us know. If you want the coolest experience, let us know. And then, you know, we get emails on a daily basis from summer programs, and, um, you know, we'll send them up north. We'll send them. We've got two kids going to play in Orange County because they were just – they wanted the coolest experience possible, which – I don't know how much cooler you can get than going to Orange County, California and playing baseball in the summer. So uh, they're pretty excited. We sent guys to San Diego before, to Canada. So it's really individualized, but, you know, we, we just sit them down and, and make sure they've got a plan and, and more importantly, make sure their plan uh, is going to help them in the future. And again, whether that's rest, whether that's getting at bats, whether that's getting innings, whether that's okay, you got to go home and work and make money or, or take summer school. Um, it, it, we're really flexible. And, and again, each, each kid's different. Uh, each plan is individualized. And, you know, it, it's talk from the coaching staff to the player, to the parents if needed. And we want what's best for our kids. And um, we give them the input necessary. And again, most kids trust us. So most kids kind of follow what we want, but we also design it what they need whether it's working, school, going home, or getting at bats. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I've got some quick hitters here uh, just for us to get to know you a little bit better and what you're learning, what you're doing. So the first one is what is something that you've learned lately that you're really excited about? Well, I think we kind of hit on this a little bit, but it's the technology stuff. You know, I mean, I'm old school, you know, I'm, you know, I see all the new age people debunking the towel drill for pitchers, man, that's my favorite drill. And We've done the towel drill for 17 years, and we've had good pitching staffs, and uh, it gets it gets pitchers to where I want them to be. So, you know, we do the towel drill all the time, and you know, I know a lot of people hate that thing and debunk it and say it's terrible. But you know, the, our our greatest challenge is is learning all this new technology, and you know, again, uh, I don't buy into it all, but you have to. You know, if you don't get better, you don't improve. You don't learn this technology, you're going to get left behind. So. You know, I don't know how much we're going to incorporate it into our program or how much, how many Rapsido or TrackMan machines we're going to buy in the future. Uh, but you better know what it is. You better know why kids are doing it. And you, you better know what it means because that, that's how these kids relate. You know, and if you can't speak technology terms and you can't speak spin rate, uh, these, new, these new age kids are going to leave you in the dust and you know, they're not just going to want to do the towel drill on a daily basis. They're, they're going to want some technology and uh, they're going to want some backing on why they do things. Kids are smarter. You know, again, kind of going to the new age, old, old school stuff. Um, you know, I don't really think kids have changed today. Uh, I think coaching has changed on, on how you have to treat these kids. And uh, kids are kids are smarter. You know, and, and unfortunately, whether right or wrong, kids want want to know the why, you know, and if you can give them the why again, they continue to buy in. They continue to do what you ask and uh, they continue to move forward. You know, where when I first started 18 years ago, it was, you know, my way or the highway. And if you didn't want to do the towel drill or you didn't want to do this drill or you didn't like the way I taught, then, you know, go find somewhere else to play. But, 
you know, nowadays, man, you gotta, you gotta know the kids, you gotta know their, their beliefs, their, their technology knowledge, their mechanical knowledge. And, you know, you've got to know the personalities and, and each kid's different. Some kids you can yell at to motivate them. Some kids you have to explain everything to motivate them. You know, some kids you have to kind of be gentle with because they're not motivated by, by fear or yelling. So, you know, I, I don't think kids have really changed. They've just gotten a whole lot smarter. And, and the only thing that's really changed is, is coaches have to adapt, you know, and, and as old school as I claim I am, uh, you have to adapt, you have to learn, you have to improve, uh, and you have to understand that this new age stuff or our kids aren't going to want to come to your school. They're not going to believe in you. They're not going to trust you. And um, so that, that's probably the, the greatest thing I'm trying to learn is, is, is all, the, this, all these new terms in pitching and, and all this new technology in pitching. And I try to read books. I try to look at Rapsido charts and numbers and spin rates and you know, I'm trying to dig in the best I can. And, you know, I already have a, <clears throat> a bunch of meetings set up with some of these local pitching coach guys that have all this technology and, and I'm meeting with them all summer long and, and, and I'm hoping they walk me through it. And I'm hoping I can pick up a thing or two from each one of them and, and bring it back to our program and, and make us better. I love that. That's awesome. Well, I guess that, that leads right into my next question, which is what's something that you've changed your mind about? either lately or in the past? Oh, I mean, again, I hate to hit the repeat button, but, um, you know, I, I've really changed my mind with technology. You know, again, I used to be like, throw me a curveball, and I'll tell you if it's a good curveball or not. I don't, I don't need Rapsido to tell me if you're how much movement you have. I can tell you right now whether it's good or not. So, uh, but again, I mean, these, these kids speak technology. So, um, you know, you've got to adapt or, adapt or die, I think's the saying. So, um, again, what am I trying to change? I, I'm trying to get some, some new age in us and some new age in our coaching staff so we can communicate with these kids better and, and, and obviously develop them better. So whatever new age stuff we can pick up is what we're going to pick up and, and bring back to our program and, and make kids better and continue to develop kids in the, the best way we can. Speaking of your kids, what is their favorite drill or just a drill that we can steal from you and use tomorrow that you Oh, I mean, again, that T drill for defense. Our kids love that. I mean, those hitters come in there and man, they try to blast the the hardest ball they possibly can. And man, when they hit one off somebody's kneecap or somebody's foot because they hit it so hard, man, they're all laughing. They're all enjoying it. Probably the defender who wore it off the foot uh, isn't laughing too much, but um, I mean, they get after that thing and, you know, we tell people all the time, there's no, but there's no such thing as a bad fungus. So sometimes they'll hit choppers. Sometimes they'll kind of miss the barrel a little bit. So it'll be weekly, but sometimes they'll hit the barrel and man, these kids, these kids just love it. You know I mean? Think you think about hitting off a tee, no kid likes just really hitting off a tee. Uh, what fun is that? But when you're able to scorch it right at a defender and, uh, those kids kind of have fun with it. And again, if you can feel that ball as a defender in our program, you can feel any ball. So uh, it makes us better. Uh, our hitters like it again because they, they get chuckles out of trying to go after somebody's kneecap or foot. And our defenders sure as heck learn quickly how to field it because once you take one off the foot, you're not going to want to take another one. So, um, man, I would say that's one of the biggest drills that we do. And uh, we do it all the time. And it's intense. It's high speed. And it's high reps, and again, it's 
it's fast paced, so that game's slower. So I, I would recommend that drill to everybody because, man, our, our defense gets better. The, for the first week we do it, it's the, it's the worst thing you'll ever see. Nobody really feels any balls, but, man, as the fall goes on, they figure out really quickly how to, how to use their glove and not their foot. So um, it, it makes us better. The kids like it. And, uh, again, it kind of makes the mundane of hitting off a tee uh, kind of fun when those guys are seeking kneecaps in, in people's shoes. That's hilarious. Well, I've got one more before you go, and it's just the resource question. Is, is there any books or resources that have ch- shaped you as a coach, changed your coaching career that you would recommend for for the coaches listening? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, our, our uh, old head coach, Kent Shelley, coached baseball for 32 years. Uh, he's on the board of directors. He was the president of the, the ABCA uh, committee. So really that ABCA organization uh, is really big for all of our coaches. You know, we go to all the conventions on a yearly basis. We, we listen to all the speakers. We watch all the videos. And there, there's not a – and I don't work for the ABCA, so I'm not getting commission here. But that ABCA uh, membership is huge for any coach because – they have the resources to get better. Um, again, you go to that; they'll have a convention every year, usually in January, uh, where there's ten thousand coaches there. There's some of the best coaches in in the world coming and speaking about mechanics, about practice plans, about you know leadership, uh, about ethics. You name it, they talk about it, and it, it's one of the greatest days uh, of any coach's development, just because of all the resources they have. I would say that ABC, ABCA is one of the best organizations in the world for any coach. And Well, Eric, I want to be the first to tell you thank you so much for just really opening up everything that you guys are doing and sharing so much of what, what you guys are doing at JCC. And so I'd love to hear, or I'd love to just mute myself, give you the opportunity to talk to any coaches that are listening. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell the, the guys listening or gals listening before you go? Oh, no. I mean, I would just encourage any, any coach out there to never think you never think, you know, at all. You know, when I was 21, 22 years old, I thought I was ready for a head coaching job. I thought I knew it all. And, um, you know, the kids really suffered, you know, when, when you're kind of uh, short minded and not willing to get better. And, um, as long as you're, you're open minded and you'll listen to other people's opinions, whether you agree with it or not. Um, and, and you're willing to learn, uh, your kids get better, you know, and, and again, uh, anybody can ever, anybody can reach out to me. I'll be more than happy to kind of tell you other drills or mechanics or, or things that we, we work on or do. And, you know, that's one of the greatest ways to get better as a coach. And once you're better as a coach, you pass it on to the players, which uh, in turn is, is kind of our ultimate goal is we want to make the, the, be- the best players possible, the best pe- people possible. And, whether it's my way or, or some, something I stole from somebody else, you know, just always stay open-minded. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which could include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.